Can games save the world? Today we explore the underutilized medium of gaming for change. This is Using the Whole Whale, a podcast that brings you stories of data and technology in the nonprofit world. My name is George Weiner, your host and the chief whaler of wholewhale.com. Thanks for joining us. I'm excited today because we can talk about games. Yes, games for change with a uh, previous guest, Asi Barak, who has written a book called Power Play, How Video Games Can uh, Save the World, which is bold. And I love it because it gets us thinking differently about the medium of games as, uh, as a vehicle for change. Um, there's a lot we're going to be covering in here as we dive through different case studies of the book. And I can't wait to see what you get out of it. All right. Let's jump into it. And I'm here with Asi Barak, the CEO of PowerPlay, also author of PowerPlay, uh, chairman of the board of Games for Change, and somehow managed to fit in time to be a faculty member at the School of Visual Arts, MFA in Design for Social Innovation. Asi, thanks for coming back on our podcast. How's it going, man? Thank you. It's great. You know, uh... I launched products, but I never launched a book, so it's uh, kind of interesting to to see that process going. So the last time we had you on the podcast, uh, so you were you were obviously at Games for Change, doing amazing work there uh, in the world of you know games that have a social impact and social outcome uh, as their target. You know you have tons of experience, and this book is littered with amazing examples. What? What catalyzed this? You know, why why go through the analog process of writing a book for a guy who's so digital? Yeah, I know it's interesting. Uh, the you know, there's something in books that uh, I, I recognized uh, long ago that uh, it's uh, it's a very strong platform to go deep. You know, and um, first of all, we still have the generational divide. There are many people um, that are still reading books, and and you know. Uh, uh, books give you that recognition with them that you don't get from other things. But uh, it's also about going deep. And, and it was important for me to go deep with the story of Games for Change because I feel that as much as we got press in the past, I mean, we as a community, it's like you can't uh, tell this story enough because it's still under the radar. You know, it's, I meet a lot of people that are still uh, finding finding about it for the first time. Yeah, it's, it's funny because uh, those are the people that have sort of followed the industry and, you know, know of your your work. And, you know, you had this, it seemed like a huge boom cycle when Jane McGonigal was out there uh, speaking about games. I know she was on the Games for Change board and you worked with her. Uh, but it seemed like it had its heyday, you know, a few years ago. Are we in a post-hype cycle? Are we in a, a new stasis? Where do you feel like we are on, on the trend of leveraging games for, for social impact? I think that uh, it's probably we're already in that phase for a while, but it's like show me the show me the numbers, show me the money, uh, show me the quality. You know, I, I think that the perception is uh, is that you can do it. Definitely, with, definitely with NGOs and corporations and uh, you know uh, decision makers, government agencies, 
they get it. They get that it's a legit way to go. It's more about, is it too expensive to do it? Uh, can you really get evidence that it works? Uh, who really you, can you reach? What's the right process? So the questions are not anymore about getting converted or convinced. It's much more about, okay, show me in a sophisticated, nuanced way how, how it's being done. And that was what the book was about. You know, it's not an idea book. It's a book that goes very deep into, into some of those case studies. And that's awesome. Uh, you know, the, the subtext here is, that, you know, how video games can, can save the world. You know, that seems like a grandiose statement talking about video games. Like, I believe video games can entertain. I also, you know, know some of those, like, shocking stats that young people growing up right now will spend as much, if not more time, playing games than they will um, in school. But how do right. you make that leap to, like, saving the world? Like, saving the world is, like, it's hard for me to get to, man. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I would the first, I would be the first one to admit that it was a bit of a leap, but you know, it's a, it's an attention, attention grabber. Obviously, when you have this hype, but you, you then go into the book and and back it up with um, real impact stories, then it feels it feels balanced. But to me, the leap is really about uh, the qualities of video games that you don't have in in other media. So. Basically, you have this uh, incredible medium, right, that we all understand by 2017 its power. We all understand that this is the probably intuitive choice for a young generation and the amount of hours spent, like you mentioned. But it's at the same time, it's a lesser medium. We all treat it, even people that play games, you know, we don't treat it with the same respect we treat uh, established media. We don't necessarily give it the same uh, understanding, but uh, not only that it can it can equate other media. I think that in some cases it can do more because it's interactive, because it can generate empathy, because it can it can get you in the leaning forward and making decisions. Yeah, I love how deliberate you are with your language, speaking about games as a medium, right? Email is a medium. Direct mail is a medium. SMS, text messaging is a medium. But it's one that it costs a little bit more to communicate on. It is less defined. It's not like there's like, hey, one channel. But it is very much a way, to your point, that you can deliver messages. So I'm curious to that end, you know, uh, because... I think a great example you use in here with uh, Nick Kristoff uh, and Half the Sky as a, as a movement and development was that there was a message, right? And he communicated it very, very well via a book, but then explored the medium of video games. Can you give people that are unfamiliar with the movement and your role in it just a taste of how that evolution happened? How do you craft something as important as that message, um, you know, that the, the plight of underprivileged women from around the world? Um, right into a game. So, so in a sense, it's a it's a movement. You know what what Nick Christoph and Sherwood done, his wife. You know they're both Pulitzer Prize winner journalists and authors. They uh, they wrote After Sky to really shine a uh, light on this issue that is uh, back then was pretty neglected. You know they they were they were part of the reason we know about it more today, especially in developing countries, women in developing countries from issue, issues from maternal health to domestic violence to uh, sexual trafficking. 
and uh, they wrote this best-selling book that was an international bestseller. They did a documentary. Um, they are those those. Uh, uh, I mean, both of those uh, products were very good at conveying a message and telling stories. And the reason they went for video games and the reason they collaborated with us is that they wanted to reach beyond the converted. So in their words, you know, they kind of looked at, they said, we write for the New York Times. We, we, may, we write this nonfiction book. We do this documentary, but we mainly reach people that are already prone to social issues, even to, the say, to this specific issue. Can we reach people that are completely unaware that all they want is to play video games? You know, and that's what we try to do. Yeah, and I think some of the, the high high numbers of that you reached over, you know, I think around one to one point five million as the time of your writing of the book through the, the yes. Facebook game uh, yep. created, right? Exactly, and um, and we also were were uh, lucky to have this uh, donation mechanism. Um, you know, two corporations, Johnson and Johnson and Pearson, uh, joined us at the beginning of this process, and they committed uh, donations. Uh, J and J, it was uh, surgeries for women, and uh, Pearson, it was book, free books, and the game was basically a triggering mechanism for the donations. And if people go to a certain level, for example, a surgery was triggered. Uh, so. With this, with this, and with personal donations from players, we reached more than half a million dollar in actual giving as a result of the game. And that's an interesting segue into what is the outcome we hope to achieve by creating a game for change? And you know, one outcome that is very clear, probably to most people entering into this uh, this arena of games for change, is like. Totally. Oh, now I get why that mattered. It triggered donations. Anybody playing, you know, anything by Supercell right now and getting the the recent notifications about Red and how you can, you know, buy some extra troops and send a donation to help HIV, um, you know, that's super clear. And I think that's probably a, a lot of, first off, the, the view of what games can do. You're like, oh, yeah, you can raise extra money. But your book goes beyond this, right? If we're talking about world-changing it's, we can't just be stuck in dollars raised, can we? Absolutely. I mean, actually, the the donations, as much as it's a clear story for people, is not like like what like you said. It's not for me the most exciting thing about Half the Sky. I think you know, raising awareness, the fact that we brought the game to people that never heard about the issues and kind of got engaged through gameplay, that was powerful. Um, I want to take though a kind of a bit high level on this whole movement to your question and talk about impact in kind of almost like a typology, okay? Like what types of impact uh, one could could hope for. And, you know, if, if we had this conversation 10 years ago, I would speak very distinct, distinctively about learning, you know, education learning and raising awareness. Uh, those are, they have overlap. But they're also kind of different, you know, with learning, it's about a game that, you know, gets you to understand certain skills, knowledge, uh, gain knowledge, gain understanding. With uh, raising awareness, you know, it's like the after sky case. You're not necessarily learning in a deep way about the issue, you're, you're paying attention. It draws you into something. It's like a communication campaign. 
these were the two areas that games were very uh, good at. What I wanted to do with this book is show that since then, games got into other areas and other impact that, you know, 10 years ago, I, I didn't even imagine possible, like uh, neuroscience, you know, no, uh, really affecting the brain, the, the structure of the brain, like uh, medical uh, behavior change, like uh, social movements, like gathering and, and, and you know, walking together uh, as a community, uh, like creative collaboration on solving a problem. Does it make sense? This, this kind of transition is something that you have in video games and you don't have in documentaries or books. It does make sense. You know, there are the elements of certainly awareness. Am I aware of the plight of underprivileged women from around the world and their day-to-day -day struggles? How does that open my eyes to something? It's, you know, the donations, super clear. I click, money goes there. Okay. But it's where we're evolving in the 10 years versus now and also in 10 years, which I'll get to a couple of questions on that, is moving toward behavioral change. And you know, and you talk about the fact that, you know, humans learn through play. Anyone who has a little kid running around is like everything that they experience in the world is learned through play. And that doesn't stop right. when and, they hit a screen. The, right. And, uh, and, you know, your competition in some of those cases is a brochure or a textbook or a, a lecture, you know, uh, especially if we're talking about, you know, trying to get the behavior change in communities or in certain to, to answer certain problems. So people that are not familiar, they're like, oh, what do you mean by behavior change? Like and like the, the neuroscience and it, it's a burgeoning field there. You know, our understanding of of how the brain works is, you know, akin to like looking at the earth from 30,000 miles away and claiming you understand how a city works. Uh, but what are some of the early indicators that show this actually happening in the brain and how does how does that sort of pair to impact? Yeah, so uh, I'll tell you two stories. One uh, is Remission, uh, the game Remission that was done by Hope Lab in Silicon Valley. That's a game that helped cancer patients, uh, especially at young age. Um, and the behavior changes as a result of playing the game. And we're talking about playing the game over a month, you know, different sessions over a month. Uh, with proven um, clinical trial level uh, proof that uh, the impact lasted six months. And we're talking about kids that uh, had trouble, uh, like many young patients, to, to keep on, on discipline, you know, take their drugs and follow the guidelines and, and basically treat their cancer, you know, like do the right things in order to be healthy. And the video game, um, the people that created it, created it especially around this one uh, big idea that we're not going to tell the people that it's good to take the pills because they know it's good. That's not the issue. I mean, rationally, they know it's good, but they don't necessarily um, embody, they don't, don't necessarily comprehend on a deep level that their body is going through this uh, war and the medicine is the ammunition. And that's what remission did. You know, uh, it, it basically connected the dots that the medicine is ammunition. Your body goes through this battle and, it sh and the game shows you this, what this battle is all around. And the kids were just much more persistent in, in following the guidelines, for, you know, after playing the game. And I can tell you the story about Adam Gazelli, if, if you'd like. And, yeah, and go then. on, go on. 
so the the neuroscience is, is a bit different in the sense that um, it can achieve similar uh, stunning results, but it's almost like uh, without the player's um, uh, kind of uh, awareness or it's not, I mean, the, the game remission, when the players played it, you know, they knew what's going on. There was reflection, there was uh, understanding. What happens now with brain training through video games is that things happen in real time, almost at the level of taking medicine. So the guy that uh, is, is a, you know, leading this movement is Adam Gazelli from San Francisco, from the university. And he got uh, his research on uh, the cover of Nature magazine showing that he can fight mental decline with a video game. And uh, again, clinical trials and everything. And now he's taking this video game that he created and can prove actual improvements to memory and other functions in real time. And over six months, he's taking it to get an FDA approval. So basically trying to crack the system and say, this is like digital medicine. This video game could be prescribed by doctors and given to patients. Now, I don't know if we'll get it or not, but it's pretty close. I mean, we're talking about a, a decision this summer. I mean, it's really fun to, to hear about these burgeoning burgeoning things and, and more and more people re-examining like one of the most ancient cures to, you know, boredom to, to many things. You know, Herodotus going back in the day talks about how, you know, famine was sort of uh, ignored through ultimate gaming in ancient civilizations. You look at, right. you know, what international sports the, like the Olympics and the World Cup have done for bringing together nations over something besides bullets um, to resolve conflicts. You know, it's not a stretch for me to think about, but the fact that it is a reburgeoning trend that we're now exploring and using this very, very ancient and powerful medium is very exciting. And, now we, and we have the science to back it up. Right. And, and you know, the, the going back to your questions before, you know, why to write this book, why to go analog? In a book, you can really put the stories in their full um, form. You know, you can really tell the story of those entrepreneurs. So, you know, it's not only a game about video games. It's really a game about the human spirit and entrepreneurs that, you know, built those products. And sometimes... And most of the times, they built a whole organization or a company around it. So, you know, video game is the, is the media of choice in their case, but they, they definitely thought about everything around it, you know, how people are going to use it, what materials they should provide with it, uh, what is the best way to distribute it, what is the context. And, uh, and they went against all odds because some of those people started, just like when I started making those games, and people tell them it's it's completely ridiculous. You know, it's it's it doesn't make any sense to make a video game that is targeted at, at cancer patients. But they went with it, and they proved in sometimes very rigorous research that not only that you can do it, you can actually make a big difference. Yeah, and that's you know that's what it takes in our in our current day and age, making sure like the the show me the money slash show me the metric moments where where we were looking to to analyze that and i love the analogy to a book actually because you know it said that like if you want information like you go to a blog you go to twitter if you want you know that information that's fine but if you want knowledge you go to books they encapsulate a full range uh of you know case studies thinking and analysis that actually will stay with you and that's 
exactly what I think gaming uh, more often than not does. You're you're able to take a bit of information and move it to knowledge through the through the medium and through experience, which is how we process information. I'm excited also in here because you you play with some of the tools of a new generation. So like 10 years ago, you couldn't imagine where things have come to, but the next 10 are going to be even crazier if you talk about the level of immersion and like just initial um, you know feedback that you're you're starting to get on and what it means when someone's in a VR virtual reality experience. Uh, what is you know what are some of your hopes or fears or thoughts as we move into this realm? Right. So so you know we, we talked about uh, virtual reality. Hey, sorry, we talked about neuroscience a bit, and and I want us to talk about virtual reality because. Obviously, it's uh, buzzing, and uh, I think that most, uh, you know, most people that look at trends and invest uh, think it's it's coming big. It's it's more a matter of, you know, how many years it will take to for it to become, uh, you know, uh, something we have in every living room. Um, I think that uh, what excites me about virtual reality, from the little that I already tested and played, is that triggering empathy. And the concept of uh, sending you, transporting you to another place, another time, another perspective, it's, it's really in the DNA of the medium, right? So first of all, uh, it's exciting because we understand from the very beginning that VR is going to be more than entertainment. It's almost like something that you see Facebook buying Oculus. You understand that Facebook didn't buy Oculus just for entertainment. So you begin in a, in, a, in a different place in video games, but you also have this immersion and transportation that allows you to do things that you couldn't do when it was just someone in front of a screen, you know? For example, in, in, a, in a, a, a VR experience like a Clouds Over Sidra, you know, super simple in its idea, but it transports you to a refugee camp in Jordan. I, you cannot get to this refugee camp probably in any other way. It's not a shortcut, you know? It's like getting you there where no other physical uh, tool can do. Yeah, it's it's really interesting because one of the things that is a key differentiator about this medium is the ability to interact and have something happen in your surrounding as a result of your actions. So, you know, maybe... I make this differentiation very clearly, but does it begin to blur if we look at the neuroscience? Not to get too geeky about this, but look, if I'm in a VR experience and it's pre-programmed, I'm taken through a camp in Jordan or a refugee camp, and like, by the way, New York Times is killing it with their 360 stuff. Right. Is that effect the same as me being able to like walk to my left and go this way and explore? Like, you know? Yeah, I mean, look, it, it raises tons of questions, you know, virtual reality and, uh, and the neuroscience stuff both have their own dark sides, you know. Uh, I mean, you know, on the brain science uh, things, imagine that if you can man manipulate the brain to fight mental decline or to fight ADHD, I can probably do other things with the brain that you're not necessarily going to be happy about them, right? <laughs> Same with virtual reality. I mean, if, if people start to take those experiences as more powerful or equate them with reality, you know, we're, we're going to be in a, in a place that we, we might not be happy about. Um, so like any, everything, it has two sides or probably multiple sides. 
Uh, I always like to focus on the on the positive side because I think that uh, it's something we need to enforce. We have uh, an environment today that media focuses a lot about the risks of technology, and uh, and paints a way that you know is 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 not only um, kind of scaring people, but I think it's also discouraging young people from working in technology. This is you know and 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 change the the paradigm. So I always I always go with the side that you know let's see what's good, let's see what are the great users. Let's change the the menu. You know, let's let's diverse the menu. Absolutely, this is an inevitable medium that is coming uh, coming upon us. Now, if you put your head in the ground and refuse to look at it, uh, you're you're literally handing it to the other side um, in this like metaphorical good versus evil uh, right. sort of sort of idea. So, I want to move to a final sort of operationalization of this, like. There are nonprofits listening and social impact organizations, and they're like, you know, creating a game is so far away from what we can afford and what we can do. And also now we're talking about VR, and that's, you know, the new hotness. So it's like, oh, my gosh, how are we creating our new, you know, VR experience? What is your advice? And I know PowerPlay actually gets a, a lot into this, so maybe a chance to say what is your uh, what is your approach to saying, all right, you, you have a cause you care about, like, you know, a low-income community in um, a certain area of Africa. How are you? How are you then operationalizing that and crafting a potential gaming experience? Yeah, so that's a great question, and you know, both through my company, PowerPlay, and the book, and even the work at Games for Change. You know, this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to help organizations and companies to to get into this. You know, it's uh, sometimes it's about helping to get the buy-in inside the organization. You know, even before you start a project, you know how, how much work I invested in my life on getting the buy-in. You always have this one champion that gets it. You know, usually is a, is a bit of a younger person, but you get she or he are, are really pushing and the other decision makers, like they don't get it. and. They won't get it if you don't show it to them. You know, they won't get it. If, so one of the solutions we have, we're doing those workshops in which we bring, uh, you know, a big part of the staff, you know, especially the people that are related to, to the project or potential project, and we show them. We let them play games for change. We explain to them what is the process, the best uh, practices. We, we also, you know, we're trying to be responsible and say this is hard. You know, this is difficult. You need to take it seriously. Don't don't do it as a, as a you know just as, as a trend or to 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 put a check on it. You know, do it do it like you would do a a movie about the organization or about the cause. I think this is where you start. From there, you know, there are many decisions on the way. But again, I think this is this mindset of you know getting the buying, creating the coalition, explaining to people why it's important. What what to focus on and what to avoid? That's probably a good place to start. Yeah, yeah, definitely avoiding the the icebergs because you can you can blow through half a million dollars mighty quick in this industry uh, by going the the wrong direction too quickly. Um, on that topic of you know what's kind of interesting to you, where do you see the the biggest opportunities in terms of gaming platforms uh, and distribution right now? Where you know is it apps building for that environment? Um, you know is it forward looking again into our conversations about you know VR and o Oculus and and those libraries? Uh, where's the uh, 
Where's the hottest platforms right now? So interesting. Uh, you know, it's 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 unbelievable how games are changing and changing fast all the time. I think virtual reality is a bit early. You know, if I if I managed an, an NGO, I wouldn't I would I would keep my my eyes you know and, and ears there, but I wouldn't necessarily develop because I don't think you have enough audience. Um, I think that um, a mobile is a bit. Uh, uh, getting very uh, packed, you know, and and if you and you have to find a good way to get your app out there, otherwise it will be buried. Um, and I think that uh, you know um, some some stuff on the web is probably uh, the best bet. And and what what's happening on the web is not necessarily technological; is more about uh, much easier ways to distribute and much easier ways to create content. So the, the, the barriers are really reduced in terms of what it takes to create uh, interactive content, what it takes to get it outside, out there. Um, the web gives you much more flexibility. It's not, uh, you know, in the, in the mobile world, it's kind of hit, hit or miss. You do it once and then you're stuck. In the web, you can always kind of find different ways to go. You're not dependent on the app store or one channel. Um, I think that that you know the web with its new tools is probably um, the 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 most promising way to go. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, half the sky was a, a Facebook game, and that like that Facebook marketplace has completely changed uh, as far as like. I wouldn't do it now. Hard. I wouldn't do it now. It's so amazing, but that's the point, right? It was a good idea at the time to take advantage of, all right, what is the market, our ability to work with it, and distribution, right? Because if a game is, you know, if a game falls in the forest and no one's there to, to play it, it did no good whatsoever. So I love this attention to, like, wait a minute, what is what is our audience size and, and cap there uh, for distribution? So, so maybe, maybe, maybe with, with, you know, in relation to what you say, I would just say very broadly it's almost like if you do a project like this, whether it's virtual reality, a game, interactive experience, whatever it is, a bit a bit on the cutting edge side, I would say invest at least 40 to 50% of your budget and effort in post-launch. Like how you get this thing out there. And it could be partnerships. I'm not saying you could rely on someone that has the, the high eyeballs like a big brand or a big media uh, partner. But again, I'm, it's just like develop 50%. Wow. 50, yeah. 50% is marketing distribution. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's a good to think like that. You have to think like that because, yeah. you know, it's not feel the dreams, right? You're Unless you're literally designed for like the perfect K factor, which is a virality index that you can kind of design for, it really is it's really up to that to that push type of marketing. Even if you're creating something great, you get those bursts. Um, it takes that type of energy. And uh, also, you know, saving for the, the measurement, which we haven't ultimately touched on, but all right, so you create this game. It's a web app based on, you know, uh, engaging in awareness and, uh, and a behavioral shift and a day in the life of some uh, someone. How, how are you then measuring? What sort of metrics do you look for uh, in that? Look, so, so the, the best experience I had was on one project where we had, the, we had the limited budget on evaluation, but we convinced the people that worked with us to, um, to come on board from the beginning. Uh, 
um, when we just begin begin with the concepts. And uh, I know that some people, by the way, are you know they, they have different views. They don't want to involve the evaluators before they need to go and, and test the, the final product. But we did it, and it was pretty amazing in the sense that we collaborated with them uh, on development, on what things we're going to measure, uh, how to embed those indicators in the software. Um, we changed our theory of change uh, as a result of early tests. We needed to do some tweaking. So basically, they become a partner rather than, okay, here's the final product, go test it. They become someone that helps you crystallize what are you going to measure, and it's it could be very different every time. In that case, for example, we wanted to measure uh, understanding of a certain process in farming. You know, did the kids actually got it by playing this app? But I have other cases that the measurements were completely different, you know, that they can measure behavior change, they can measure... Um, you know, awareness to certain parts of the process. Um, so again, it, it really depends on the product you're doing, but I think that bring those experts into the conversation. I mean, this is, this is their expertise in measuring impact. And by the way, even, even that, you can divide to different disciplines, right? If you do something for learning, bring an education expert. If you do something for, as a campaign communication, bring a communication expert to measure. You know, yeah. Measurement ultimately is not something that is icing on the cake, but it is the goddamn cake. You gotta start with that as an ingredient. It sounds like. Yeah, especially if you're, you know, if you want further funding and scale. Yeah. Uh, you can't do it if I mean even for yourself. Try to understand what are your goals and if you're hitting them and and uh, where you're. I mean, it's not going to be yes or no. It's going to be. Yeah, I'm hitting that and that. I'm not. I'm missing on this, and I want to improve. Yeah. So let me just talk some numbers. Feel free to share like ranges. Like people are like, all right, you know, like like don't get out of bed unless you have X number of thousands, of tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Like, what kind of numbers are we talking about for uh, what the industry loves is the minimum viable product for for a game? I mean, I would say that mobile is the cheapest, probably, and um, you know, you can do a you can do probably you can look at mobile games up to to fifty thousand, but it could be cheaper than that. You know, I'm just giving the range. You know. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't go necessarily below one hundred thousand. I mean, I I, I wouldn't put my <laughs> my stamp of approval on a project that has less than one hundred thousand. Again, talking about all the items we already discussed, like marketing and distribution. Um, Web would be a bit higher, probably 250 plus. You know, uh, I wouldn't go above half a million necessarily. And uh, look, I mean, platforms like consoles, then you get to the big numbers. Um, but I, w you know, for for a game for a cause, I would probably my range would be between uh, 100 to 500 thousand, depending on the platform and the scope. And and the other tip I would say is. You know, never uh, be afraid of scoping less in, in the sense that, you know, have your ambition, that's great, but can we test it on a smaller, can we do a prototype first, you know, can we test the prototype? Can we invest less and see what we get and then invest more? Yeah. Well, I like, appreciate you sharing those ranges. Oh, like what? 
No, no, I'm saying just like slicing it, you know. Yeah, as much as possible. All right, so maybe this is a this is a perfect point. Uh, maybe to move into some rapid fire questions before we get to the end. Uh, I always try to get through some of these with all of our guests, uh, and this is broad. Quick response to what is something coming up in the next year that you are most excited about? Like a title, you mean? Uh, could be a title, could be your own work or a project. Um, I'm excited about esports, electronic sports. We didn't discuss it much. Uh, the idea that people play video games for competition. And I'm doing now a project with one of uh, the largest uh, or one large city in the U.S. Uh, that wants to get esports into the venues and stadiums and arenas. And uh, I would be very excited if something tangible comes out of it, like, you know, bringing a team to be like the team of the city. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy, you're just making me, uh, making me feel old, dude. All right. Talk about a mistake that you've made uh, in your career from which you have learned the most from. Um, arguably, I'm still making that mistakes when I'm making games, but I'm making, I'm putting too much content in, and uh, <laughs> I think that uh, people that come to this and want to do an interactive experience, they need to understand it, it behaves differently than, you know, writing a, a blog or a. I mean, it's it's not necessarily the the most uh, appropriate medium for uh, like uh, giving messages, putting messages out. It can put a message out, but it does it by just like you said, letting people play and experience. So the actions in the game are much more important than the text, right? So as much as I try to be disciplined, I, I tend to fall on over, you know, too dense on the content side and doing things that are a bit too smart or too, I mean, sometimes you need to dumb it down to get a wider audience. Awesome. I think you just did that for this exact question, man. You put 10 pounds into two, two, ba <laughs> two pound bag. <laughs> You're a funny guy. All right. How do you respond to this question? Can nonprofits successfully go out of business? Can they successfully get out of get uh, yeah? Out can of they put themselves put themselves out of business, so to speak, by achieving their outcome, or is that not your view of nonprofits? I don't think so. I, I think that I mean again, my intuition on this one is that every project, every cause, you can find new ways to innovate or scale or spin off. Or I mean, hard for me to believe that you can solve something forever. I kind of love that answer for many reasons. Um, all right. What is something you think you or your organization should stop doing? One thing that I would love, uh, you know, Games for Change to do more is, is focus on larger projects or larger grants. I mean, it's very tempting to go after every opportunity. Uh, sometimes you need to say no. Sometimes you need to take the same effort and put it on, on something larger that it will take longer, but it will be worth it. Got to uh, say no to the small things. All right, and finally, you have a magical wand that you can wave across the nonprofit industry. What would it do? It can only do one thing. Make it more effective, efficient. So an efficient. It gets people to. Yeah, get, getting people to walk in the mindset. I'm not saying. Don't get me wrong. There are great people in nonprofits and. And uh, probably the majority is is seeing it as they see any business, but I, I feel that we still have 
uh, areas or systems or people that, you know, they 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 say, oh, I'm in a non-profit, so you know, 5 p.m. my pencil falls or my mouse or whatever, <laughs> and I'm going home. <laughs> All right, buddy. How do people find you, and how do people help you? Obviously, the book is Power Play. You can find that on Amazon. We'll have supporting notes uh, on the Whole Well podcast. But how do people get in touch? So I, I would love people to spread the message and, and you know, get people to understand that the, the new media um, has tons of potential. And they can reach me, um, you know, they can send me an email. I'm uh, asi, A-S-I, at powerplaynyc.com. Um, and, uh, you know, if you have a project that you need help with or uh, advice or, you know, you need to get to someone, happy to help. Brilliant. And uh, I'll encourage folks to get in touch. Asi, thank you for taking the time to speak with us. Congratulations on the book. Again, can be found on Amazon. Take care, buddy. Thank you, man. Coming back to this interview, it's clear, you know, this is a medium just like the telephone, just like uh, electronic mail, just like, uh, you know, the internet itself. And it's an old medium. Gaming, we're going to talk about long history and different ways of using, and it's going to change so incredibly uh, in in the coming years with regard to virtual reality and the immersive experiences that are coming. So it is something that I think we're going to need more fluency in. And I encourage you to read this book. And if you have an organization that's thinking about, let's say, dipping the toe in the water, have them listen to this podcast and see how this conversation really evolves uh, around the different considerations, you know, saving 40% for promotion, um, you know, baking metrics and thinking it through uh, with regard to all the case studies that are already out there and building on the shoulders of giants rather than, you know, uh, unfortunately, sometimes wasting money wasting money in the corner when uh, you don't consider uh, the right process and approach to this medium. I think the barrier to entry can be looked at in two different ways. One, it's like too high to climb. However, once you're up there, there is genuine opportunity, I believe, to to impact change because there's fewer players in, in the gaming for good scenario. And also, I love the idea of capturing market share. You know, there's tons of other people creating games that sure as heck do not change very much except for my propensity to, you know, line little colors up and shapes and send little armies left to right. But these are, uh, these are mediums. And we are, in effect, trying to battle for market share in, in a very large ocean uh, of games that are being created by the day. Uh, and it's going to take some investment. It's going to take some creativity. It's going to take some focus, but it doesn't mean we shouldn't go there. And if you are going there, you know, make sure you do your homework. Um, it's fun talking with Asi. I love having him on the show. We have uh, all of the resources for today's podcast at wholewhale.com slash podcast. And this is episode 63, so you can find it there. Thanks for joining us. Special thanks to Greg Thomas for his music on the intro and outro. And we have a new whaler at Whole Whale, Brian Benson, making sure that this podcast sounds better than it did yesterday. I deeply appreciate that. Thanks, Brian. This has been Using the Whole Whale. 
For more resources on today's show, please visit wholewhale.com slash podcast and consider following us on Twitter at Whole Whale. And thanks for joining us.